My name is Dave, and uh, I am from White Plains. I've been a youth pastor over at Hillside for about five years. And uh, you'll be hearing tell you a little bit about what I'm involved with now, uh, this new church plant endeavor, uh, which we are calling Awaken, by the way. We just came up with a name a couple months ago. Uh, only started in September, but it's something that's very exciting. Uh, it's very different. Uh, as your pastor was saying, it's not something that you uh, would normally think of when you think of a church. But uh, it's a lot of fun. Having a blast doing it and uh, looking forward to this year and uh, what's coming up here in the next couple of years, hopefully. So when, when I was thinking about uh, which, which week, because I was given a few different passages to talk about, Isaiah 49 popped up because for me, this is the passage that God gave me the vision for the church plant about. So for me, this is a very important passage here, which I'm going to talk about Isaiah 49 and then also kind of intertwine my vision into what uh, we'll be looking at here this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 49. Now this is Isaiah writing this here, and what's happening is Israel is in captivity, the Babylonian captivity. So they don't, at this point in time, they don't have that much hope, right? Just imagine you're in captivity. You're taken out of your land, out of your country, out of everything that you ever have known. And you, you want to get back to Israel. You want to get back to this land where you're supposed to be, but you're not there. And so we have here this sense of hope, this sense of restoration, finally, that God is going to do something in the future, that God will provide, that he will return his people back to where they're supposed to be. And we think about us today. Oftentimes, we kind of live in that exile period in our lives where we realize that we're not exactly where we want to be oftentimes. You know, we think ahead to heaven, to this, this time where we're going to be with God, and we look forward to that, but we realize that where we are right now, it's not there. So we have periods of doubt, of frustration, when things aren't going the way that we want them to go. And this is where the Israelites are in this time period. And uh, a lot of scholars have debated exactly who, passage 49, the chapter 49 is about the servant of the Lord. And a lot of scholars debated exactly who is the servant of the Lord. Some have said it's Isaiah himself writing about himself here. Others said it's the entire nation of Israel and what their whole mentality, how they're supposed to live and who they're supposed to reach out to. Other people, other scholars have said that it prefigures Christ, that it's the story of Christ and what his role, what he's going to do while he's here on this earth. And now see, all of those would make sense because all three of those groups, those, those people, they all had this mission, this redemptive purpose to bring God, to bring others into a relationship with God while they were on this earth. And we look at this story for us today, it doesn't even necessarily matter who the servant of the Lord is because the truth is, for all of us who desire to follow God with our lives, we're all called to be that servant. Because this passage right here is the very heart of God. This is God's heart for the world. And it's the heart that he desires for us to have as well. So if you want to look at uh, chapter 49 here, verse 1, it says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. Right here is what I like to call stage one of vision. Stage one here, where we see that Isaiah, or whoever this is, Isaiah's writing, has this sense of destiny, this sense of a greater purpose, all the way from before they were born. This idea that when God created this servant, 
when God crafted him, that he had given him this sense of a greater purpose, a sense of partnering with God for what he wanted to do in this world. The sense that his life wasn't only about himself, but it was about the entire world and how God wanted to work through him to allow others to see God, to allow others to come into a relationship with God. And see, I would believe that all of us, all of us have this sense of destiny. Sure, our vision is going to look different. The way in which our vision plays itself out in our lives is going to look different for each person. But God has given each one of us a vision for our lives, a way in which we can partner with him in this world. Not just to be about ourselves and get what we can get and do what we can do and kind of keep God to ourselves, but rather to have this greater vision. It's kind of like uh, Star Wars. You guys have seen Star Wars before, I hope, right? And in the, in the second episode here, towards the end of the movie, Darth Vader is there with his son, Luke Skywalker, which he finally finds out. If I ruin that for you, I apologize right now. <laughs> but he's finally telling Luke, hey, look, you're my son here. And he tells him, your destiny is to be with me and to rule the galaxy. And we think about that, we're like, whoa, that's powerful stuff, right? Not that Luke was going to go rule the galaxy with Darth Vader, nor do we ever want to rule the galaxy. But the truth is, that word destiny holds a lot of weight. And we sit there and we're like, whoa, I kind of want that destiny. Maybe I want to rule the Death Star, right? I do, actually. <laughs> but we look at that and we think, and you know what? God has all, given all of us this sense of destiny, a sense of purpose. Maybe it was before we were born. Or maybe it came to us a couple years down the road here. For me, it all started about three years ago. When a couple different things started converging together, I had been... Uh, working at Hillside Church for about five years. I was in Germany talking about church planning with a few people. And I had never considered the possibility of church planning before. I thought it was for some crazy people, like, you know, whatever, I'm not going to go and do that kind of stuff. I don't have time for that, nor do I want to do it. But I couldn't get the thought out of my head. And then a lot of my friends that I went to high school with, they started asking me, well, you know, what are you doing? You're a pastor? I think I was ordained when I was uh, 26. And they're like, what are you doing being a reverend when you're 26 years old? Like, isn't that only for people in their, like, 90s? And it led to all these good conversations, these questions where they were asking, saying, hey, you know, what's this about your relationship with God? So I didn't have to stand up anywhere and smack him over the head with a, you know, a big piece of wood and tell him, hey, look, you've got to repent and come to God. But rather what was happening is they were asking me about my relationship with God. And between that and this idea of church planning, God began to birth in my heart this vision, this vision to reach people who the church isn't reaching, particularly in my age group, 20s and 30s. If we continue here, we're going to get to stage two of vision. It's uh, found in uh, verse two through three. It said, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You're my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. This is what I would call the preparation stage. The stage in which God is beginning to even go deeper in the servant's life. Maybe you've seen Lord of the Rings, right? All right, another sci-fi. I'm a sci-fi geek, so I apologize. But uh, before the orcs go into battle here, they're forging all their weapons, right? They're putting it all in the fire here. They're getting everything ready to go to battle. Now, if they hadn't done that, they would not have been ready. They wouldn't have been prepared for this fight that's coming up here. And it's the same thing that God wants to do in each of our lives. 
He wants to prepare us for this vision. First, he gives us the vision, and then he begins preparing us for what that vision is going to look like down the road here. It's all the experiences in our life that have led to that point in time. And oftentimes, we don't like those experiences because they, they're really hard for us. They're really difficult. You know, I know for me personally, I've been through a whole bunch of difficult points in my life, losing my best friend in a car accident where it took me deeper in my relationship with God. And during the time there, we say, God, what are you doing in my life? But then we can look back down the road and we realize that God was doing something in our hearts. God was preparing us for the vision, how he wants to use us down the road as we step into that. And now I realize that I'm going to be able to speak into people's lives. I'll be able to understand a little bit more about people who have been in similar situations. Sure, I won't know everything about what they're going through, but at the same time, we can look back over experience and say, you know what? I've been there. It happened in my life, and I'm still following God. And so sometimes this preparation stage is the most difficult because we don't want to go through that stuff. We'd much rather have an easy life where everything's okay. We can sit on our couch and watch the Jets and Steelers game later on. Jets, right, please? Maybe. I went to school in Pittsburgh, and all my friends are big Pittsburgh fans, and uh, I just want Pittsburgh to lose just to spite them. I'm seriously sick of those terrible towels they wear. I'm sorry if you're a Steelers fan here. Probably getting myself in trouble. And, and what we see also in this preparation stage is that God begins to take us deeper, where he continues to shape our heart. He gives us this vision, but then he begins giving us a little more meat to support that vision, where we realize, hey, this is about my relationship with God, and if it doesn't start there, then I'm never going to see this vision come to fulfillment. If we, uh, we go to stage three here, which is found in verse four. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. This is what I would call the doubt stage. I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. I'm sure most of us have been there in our relationship with God. I've been there where we had this vision, we had this idea of what God wants to do, and we're excited about it. We say, wow, God is working. I'm so excited to jump into this. And so we, we start moving forward, and we don't see anything happening. And we begin doubting. We say, God, are, are you there? God, did I hear you wrong? Is it my fault? What am I doing? We see right here in Scripture... I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. What's being written here is that it's not working. God's not showing up. God's not there. And I believe in order for us to get to that point where our vision becomes a reality, we have to go through that doubt stage. Because what's the next, ver what's the next line right there? It says, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. Because it's in this stage, in this doubt stage, we realize that it's not in our power. We realize it's not in what we can do. See, we could go and make this vision happen on our own. But we realize it's never going to be the way God wanted it to be, the way that God had foreseen, unless we fully trust God with everything, including our vision. 
In a sense, our vision almost has to die and be reborn in order to see it come to completion. We begin to realize that it's not so much about results and what we see happening, but it's about being faithful to God in the midst of it. Even if we don't see anything happening, it's about being faithful to God in the middle of our doubt. Saying, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to follow through. I'm going to follow you. And for me, you know, that was a huge thing, right, in the beginning of the church. I mean, we're only a couple months into it. But in the beginning, I had, I had uh, about three, four people that I, was, that I had on board with me. And all of a sudden, three of them dropped off. And the fourth one was, you know, on the edge here a little bit. And so I realized, hey, it's, it's me here. It's only me. And so here we are trying to, trying to start a church, right? And if you have three people besides me, and you lose three people, that leaves me. And you're like, uh, can I move like to some island and just get a boat? <laughs> Give people tours? <laughs> right? And it was through that time in my life, when it was just me, that God took me deeper. Because then I realized that I had to rely fully on God. It wasn't about these other people. It wasn't about who I could get to come along. But it was about God's power at work. And seeing people's lives transformed, not through what I've done, not through what I can do, but through God's power. And I don't believe until you get there that you can fully see your vision become reality. The next stage, this is my favorite one, stage four here, uh, verse five. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. See, I would call this the execution stage, not like beheading execution. But like, execution, go for it. Let's do it, right? We went through that preparation. We have the vision. We went through our doubt stage. We begin to rely fully in God and not in our power, not in our strength. And then God begins to show up. God begins to work. And the cool thing about it is this, is that he says, hey, you know what? It's too small a thing for you to be my servant just to the tribes of Israel. But rather, I'm going to make you a light for the entire world to bring my salvation all the way to the ends of the earth. And what happens here is that God's focus isn't only on what happens in the walls of the church. It's not in what happens in the four walls here on a Sunday morning. But rather, his focus and his heart is for the entire world. For those that will never show up in a church. And that's why, for me, this is something that totally struck me. You know, part of my, my discontent with everything and, and moving forward with the church plan was that I, I saw churches that oftentimes become too comfortable. They become too comfortable in just focusing solely on what happens within the four walls. And that's why for us, for our vision, I don't know if we're ever going to own a church, a, a building. That's not the point. That's not our vision. It's not what we're looking to do. You know, right now we're meeting in my apartment. But we also meet in a lot of other places as well. We're meeting in uh, bars in the middle of White Plains. 
We're meeting in coffee shops. Wherever we can find space in the middle of White Plains where people are, that's where we want to be. Because God's heart, as we see here, isn't only for the church. Sure, it is. But he has a much bigger vision than that. His heart is bigger than that. And what he desires is that for us as servants, that we would capture that vision, that we would capture his very heart. And so when we, you know, when we started everything, everyone always asked me, well, you know, where's your building? Where are you meeting? And, you know, all right, well, you know, we meet in my apartment, sure. But it's not about that. Because I, I've seen people that will not step foot into a church on a Sunday morning. They won't do it. And I'm sure we all know people that will not come here on a Sunday morning. But yet I've walked into a bar and I've sat down at the bar and I shared a drink with someone who will talk for over an hour with me about their life. And then they ask me what I do and it's an open door into religion. What do you do? Well, I'm actually a reverend. I'm a pastor here. And they're shocked. They're like, well, you're not allowed to be in a bar. I'm like, well, why not? And so seriously, I carry my, uh, my reverend ID with me just to show people. I'm not joking. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I'd take that out and show them. They're like, you, you can't be in here. I'm like, you want to bet? Here you go. There's my credentials right here. And so when we, when we look ahead to, to what are we doing at the church, and we see, you know, I look at this passage and I see God's heart. There's two things that stick out, two of our core values of who we want to be, of what we want to do. The first one is acceptance of all people. See, we want to be a community where everyone feels welcome where everyone feels that they can come and be a part of what's going on. And uh, not just to say it, but to actually live it out. And it's cool, because last week we were talking about community in, uh, at Awaken here last Sunday evening, and we had a group that, I don't know how this group ever would come together. I mean, I look at it, and it's such an eclectic group of people that I'm like, with the different backgrounds, that I'm sitting there thinking, these people really aren't going to get along. And you know what? They, they argued. It happens in church because we do a little bit of a discussion type thing. And so they totally butt heads. But I'll tell you, I had one of my friends there. And here was someone that I met about uh, three years ago. And the first time I met him, the first thing he's I needed a spot at the gym, right? And I was, I was lifting. And he, I asked him to help me out here. And the first thing he says to me is, he says, I'm gay. I'm like, okay, well, can you give me a spot anyway? right? And he's become one of my good friends. And he came out last week, and then you have people who grew up in the church who have a completely different worldview, a completely different mindset about life, about religion, God, and faith. And sure, you know, they butted heads, but at the end of the day, we all got together, and we could all pray together because we were a community. And we talked about what it looks like to respect each other. Even if we don't agree with each other's beliefs or where they're coming from, we talked about respect. And for me, my friend, it's been an eye-opener for me because you asked me if I would have such a close friend who's a homosexual a couple years ago, I would have said no. I would have said no. And he has taught me so much about what the heart of God is all about, just in my relationship with him. And you know what? And we don't agree. He asked me, you know, what do I think? And we don't agree on certain things. We definitely don't. You know, I'm not afraid to speak my mind and he respects it and he's not afraid to tell me what he thinks. But we respect each other. And I think oftentimes in the church, what we see happening is that we want to be in a relationship with others just to convert them. But then people can see into that. And they realize, well, we have an agenda. 
and then they feel like they're our agenda, like they're our project. And if we approach people with that mentality, they will never come into a relationship with God. They'll never do it. They won't. What my friend wants to see, he wants to see love in action. And it's funny, I, I went to a, it's a little embarrassing, but I'll tell you anyway. I went to a, uh, don't judge me, please, all right? I went to a Kylie Minogue concert about a year and a half ago. I don't know if you guys know who that is. This big pop star girl thing, right? So, uh, so I went to this concert, and like my friend's crazy. He was like waiting overnight for like 13, 14 hours just to get in the front row here. And I had church, so I came down a little bit later. It was a Sunday night. And uh, so I got right into the front row. So I looked like this like, maniac Kylie Minogue fan. He's got like signs and everything. Here I am in the front. looks like I've been waiting for 20 hours. And uh, so I meet some of his friends that are there, and they ask what I do. It's like a common question I'm always asked. But they ask what I do, and they find out I'm a pastor. And they all kind of cringe and like fall back a little bit. You know, here's a pastor going to a Kylie Minogue concert, like totally mind-blown here, I guess, right? And he, and he said, like he sensed it, and he said to them, he said, listen, you know what? Dave is actually a real Christian. He said, don't be afraid. He's actually a cool guy. He's a real Christian. Not like those fake Christians on the side of the street who pass tracks out and tell people they're going to hell. And to me, I, you know, I had some tears in my eye, for real. Because I realized that, you know what, I hadn't, he's not in a relationship with God, but at the same time, he recognized my life. He recognized that my relationship with God was real, and he knew that. And he was willing to tell others that. And it's not the first time I've heard him say it either. He'll say it again and again. And to me, I believe that's God. That's the very heart of God, where we can be in a relationship with people and just show them love with no strings attached. For our Christmas party a couple weeks ago at Awaken, we rented out one of the bars in White Plains, and we just invited people. You know, we had our group of who comes out on a Sunday, and then we said, hey, listen, invite your friends to what we're doing. We don't care if we never see them again, but just have them come out. Have them get to know us and see what we're doing. And we're going to buy them appetizers. We did not buy, we, we were debating open bar, closed bar. We ended up going with, um, everyone was on their own for drinks, but we, we did have, we did provide appetizers for people. And we said, hey, you know, just have them come out. We're going to have a good time. We'll provide the atmosphere, the environment, and the food. Just come out and get to know us. And we haven't seen many people from the party afterwards, but that wasn't the point because it turned a lot of heads. You know, the bartender, he asked me, he's like, so uh, what, what kind of a party is this? I'm like, oh, it's a church party. He's like, what? He was so confused. So he goes, uh, what, what's your role in the church? I'm like, I'm the pastor. He's like, what? What are you talking about here? And we'll see what happens. I mean, we built a relationship up with that, with that bar now. I get the royal treatment every time I walk in there. I was on a date, actually, in there, and as soon as I walk in, they're like, oh, Dave, what table do you want? Here you go. Drinks on us. So it's a good way to impress a date. <laughs> the second thing, the second, one of the other core values that we really want to, to uphold is this, this sense of authentic community, where we're willing to be real with each other, real with what we're going through. One of the guys who's a part of our group, he's, in, he's going through AA right now. And we'll, we'll talk quite a bit. Actually, just the other day, he was telling me about it. And he'll say that his AA meetings are more real than most church meetings. There's a problem there. There's a problem with that. And what he was saying is that his sponsor was telling him the other day, he said, listen, anytime that you feel that you've arrived, 
that you feel like you're okay, you're in trouble. Because you're never going to have a right. You're never going to kick this thing. You're always going to be on a journey. And isn't that the Christian life? Where we realize, hey, we're never going to arrive anywhere. Sure, we're, we're supposed to keep moving towards Christ and become more like Christ in our lives, but the truth is we're never going to become fully like Christ in this life. It's about a journey. So shouldn't we be willing to open ourselves up to others we're in community with and let them know, hey, I'm having a tough time with this right now. I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me out? And so for us, those are the two things that I think really get to God's heart. When we see, hey, what are, we talk about the Gentiles here in this passage and being a light for everyone. Well, how do we be a light for everyone in our world today? I believe it's by showing others love and acceptance. Yeah, sure, having a backbone and standing up for what you believe in, but at the same time, loving people through that. And then also sharing authentic community with others and being real, even with those outside of the church, about what you're going through. Because a lot of people have an attitude, a lot of people believe that you have to be perfect to get in here. And so for us, instead of having everyone believe everything that we believe before they belong, we want to flip it around and have people belong to what we're doing before they believe everything that we're doing. Give them a chance to see our lives, to see God transforming our hearts and our lives so then God can do the same for them. And until you give people a chance to belong to something like that, something that's real and authentic, they are not going to want to be a part of the church. They're not going to want a relationship with God. Because most people today, they can sense if you're fake. And they want something real. And I believe only by being real are they going to turn their lives to, to God. So for us, that's what we're doing. You know, that, that's what we're doing. We're trying to get out to where people are. We're trying to meet people exactly where they are. Rather than saying, hey, come out to us, let's go out to you because we care about you. Because this is God's heart. This is the heart of a servant of God. And this is the very heart that we want to have for others. Finally, we get to the end here of Isaiah in uh, verse 7 here. It says, this is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has cho chosen you. See, this is the final stage, the stage of fulfillment, the stage of completion. Where we've went through, we've gotten the vision, the preparation, the doubt, the execution, and then we see how God has used our lives for his kingdom. And this stage doesn't happen until the end of our lives. When we look back and we rejoice with what God has done through us with what God's power has done, with how his kingdom has been advanced through our lives, through our hearts, through our relationship with God. And it says here, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation. You know what? I take a lot of heat sometimes for what I do. You know, a lot of people look in and they say, wow, well, I don't know if I would do that. I don't know if I agree with what you're doing. But you know what? Those are the places that God wants us to be. And just like this servant was despised and abhorred by the nation, let's face it, the church likes to be comfortable. 
Sometimes we don't like to step out because of how it might look, how we might be perceived. Maybe because we're scared of what it looks like. So here's the servant who is despised. And then kings will see. Princes will bow down. People will see God as we step out, as we're courageous, as we put ourselves in positions where we're going to have to trust in God. We're going to have to rely on God. We realize, hey, God, on my own, I don't got this. On my own, I can't do it. But I'm trusting you because it's the vision that you've given me. And it's the heart that you've shaped in me for you and for others. And right here, I mean, you could sum the entire Bible up in these seven passages here. Where God's on this mission. This mission to bring people into a relationship with him. And who does he want to use? He wants to use us. He wants to use our lives. And I believe all of us here today have a vision. Maybe we've pushed it down for a while. Maybe we haven't thought about it because it's scary. Because it's going to require risk. It's going to require us to step out of our comfort zone and do something crazy that other people might laugh at, other people might look at and think that that's, that's maniac. Forget about it. We're not doing that. But God's saying today, step out. Step out of our comfortable lives. Trust him. And he's saying, you're going to see miraculous things. You're going to see the kingdom at work. Your life is, your life is never going to be the same. Because you'll see God work in ways that you could never imagine. It's the life that I want. It's the life that God wants for all of us, for all of his servants. I recently read this, this quote. It's a question. It says, What do you believe in enough to invest 30 years of long days and short nights to see accomplished? For us today, what are we willing to invest in for the kingdom? For lives of people who don't know God. Where it might cost us, but it costs Christ everything. It's difficult, but it's God's heart. God, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your heart that we see here in this passage. God, for this servant that, that's called to the world to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Not just called for the, the tribes of Israel, but for the entire world. So, Father, I ask that you would give each of us that heart. God, that heart that sees beyond the four walls here in the church. That sees people, people who don't know you. So God, even now I ask that you would bring faces to our minds. That are people to invest in, people just to love. And may they see you through our lives, God. May we represent you well to our friends, to our community, to our family. God, may people see your heart through our lives. And may we come back with stories to share. Stories of how you are working 
of how you're bringing people into a relationship with you. So give us the courage. God, give us that power. And shape our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.